The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson Chapter 17 The Slowing Rotation It might have been a million years later that I perceived, beyond possibility of doubt, that the fiery sheet that lit the world was indeed darkening. Another vast space went by and the whole enormous flame had sunk to a deep copper color. Gradually it darkened from copper to copper red, and from this at times to a deep, heavy purplish tint with, in it, a strange loom of blood. Although the light was decreasing, I could perceive no diminishment in the apparent speed of the sun. It still spread itself in that dazzling veil of speed. The world, so much of it as I could see, had assumed a dreadful shade of gloom, as though, in very deed, the last day of the world's approached. The sun was dying, of that there could be little doubt, and still the earth whirled onward through space and all the aeons. At this time, I remember, an extraordinary sense of bewilderment took me. I found myself later wandering mentally amid an odd chaos of fragmentary modern theories and the old biblical story of the world's ending. Then, for the first time, there flashed across me the memory that the sun, with its system of planets, was, and had been, traveling through space at an incredible speed. Abruptly, the question rose... Where? For a very great time I pondered this matter, but finally, with a certain sense of the futility of my puzzlings, I let my thoughts wander to other things. I grew to wondering how much longer the house would stand. Also I queried to myself whether I should be doomed to stay, bodiless, upon the earth through the dark time that I knew was coming. From these thoughts I fell again to speculations upon the possible direction of the sun's journey through space, and so another great while passed. Gradually, as time fled, I began to feel the chill of a great winter. Then I remembered that, with the sun dying, the cold must be necessarily extraordinarily intense. Slowly, slowly, as the aeons slipped into eternity, the earth sank into a heavier and redder gloom. The dull flame in the firmament took on a deeper tint, very somber and turbid. Then, at last, it was borne upon me that there was a change— the fiery, gloomy curtain of flame that hung quaking overhead and down away into the southern sky began to thin and contract, and in it, as one sees the fast vibrations of a jarred harp-string, I saw once more the sun-stream quivering, giddily, north and south. Slowly the likeness to a sheet of fire disappeared, and I saw plainly the slowing beat of the sun-stream. Yet even then the speed of its swing was inconceivably swift, and all the time the brightness of the fiery arc grew ever duller. Underneath, the world loomed dimly, an indistinct, ghostly region. Overhead, the river of flame swayed slower, and even slower, until at last it swung to the north and south in great ponderous beats that lasted through seconds. A long space went by, and now each sway of the great belt lasted nigh a minute, so that, after a great while, I ceased to distinguish it as a visible movement and the streaming fire ran in a steady river of dull flame across the deadly-looking sky. An indefinite period passed, and it seemed that the arc of fire became less sharply defined. It appeared to me to grow more attenuated, and I thought blackish streaks showed occasionally. Presently, as I watched, the smooth onward flow ceased, and I was able to perceive that there came a momentary but regular darkening of the world. This grew until once more night descended in short but periodic intervals upon the wearying earth. Longer and longer became the nights, and the days equaled them, so that, at last, 
The day and the night grew to the duration of seconds in length, and the sun shone once more like an almost invisible coppery-red-colored ball within the glowing mistiness of its flight. Corresponding to the dark lines, showing at times in its trail, there were now distinctly to be seen on the half-visible sun itself great dark belts. Year after year flashed into the past, and the days and nights spread into minutes. The sun had ceased to have the appearance of a tail, and now rose and set, a tremendous globe of a glowing copper-bronze hue, in parts ringed with blood-red bands, in others with the dusky ones that I have already mentioned. These circles, both red and black, were of varying thicknesses. For a time I was at a loss to account for their presence. Then it occurred to me that it was scarcely likely that the sun would cool evenly all over, and that these markings were due, probably, to differences in temperature of the various areas. The red representing those parts where the heat was still fervent, and the black those portions which were already comparatively cool. It struck me as a peculiar thing that the sun should cool in evenly defined rings, until I remembered that possibly they were but isolated patches to which the enormous rotatory speed of the sun had imparted a belt-like appearance. The sun itself was very much greater than the sun I had known in the old world days, and from this I argued that it was considerably nearer. At nights the moon still showed, but small and remote, and the light she reflected was so dull and weak that she seemed little more than the small dim ghost of the olden moon that I had known. Footnote 6. No further mention is made of the moon. From what is said here, it is evident that our satellite had greatly increased its distance from the earth. Possibly at a later age it may even have broken loose from our attraction. I cannot but regret that no light is shed on this point. Gradually, the days and nights lengthened out until they equaled a space somewhat less than one of the old earth hours, the sun rising and setting like a great ruddy bronze disk crossed with ink-black bars. About this time I found myself able once more to see the gardens with clearness, for the world had now grown very still and changeless. Yet I am not correct in saying gardens, for there were no gardens, nothing that I knew or recognized. In place thereof I looked out upon a vast plain stretching away into distance. A little to my left there was a low range of hills. Everywhere there was a uniform white covering of snow in places rising into hummocks and ridges. It was only now that I recognized how really great had been the snowfall. In places it was vastly deep, as was witnessed by a great upleaping wave-shaped hill away to my right, though it is not impossible that this was due in part to some rise in the surface of the ground. Strangely enough, the range of low hills to my left, already mentioned, was not already covered with the universal snow. Instead, I could see their bare, dark sides showing in several places, and everywhere and always there reigned an incredible death silence and desolation, the immutable, awful quiet of a dying world. All this time the days and nights were lengthening perceptibly. Already each day occupied maybe some two hours from dawn to dusk. At night I had been surprised to find that there were very few stars overhead, and these small, though of an extraordinary brightness which I attributed to the peculiar but clear blackness of the nighttime. Away to the north I could discern a nebulous sort of mistiness, not unlike in appearance a small portion of the Milky Way. It might have been an extremely remote star cluster, or, the thought came to me suddenly, perhaps it was the sidereal universe that I had known and now left far behind forever a small, dimly glowing mist of stars far in the depths of space. Still the days and nights lengthened slowly. Each time the sun rose duller than it had set, and the dark belts increased in breadth. 
About this time there happened a fresh thing. The sun, earth, and sky were suddenly darkened and apparently blotted out for a brief space. I had a sense, a certain awareness, I could learn little by sight, that the earth was enduring a very great fall of snow. Then, in an instant, the veil that had obscured everything vanished and I looked out once more. A marvelous sight met my gaze. The hollow in which this house with its garden stands was brimmed with snow. Footnote 7. Conceivably frozen air. It lipped over the sill of my window. Everywhere it lay a great level stretch of white which caught and reflected gloomily the somber coppery glows of the dying sun. The world had become a shadowless plain from horizon to horizon. I glanced up at the sun. It shone with an extraordinary dull clearness. I saw it now as one who, until then, had seen it only through a partially obscuring medium. All about it the sky had become black with a clear, deep blackness, frightful in its nearness and its unmeasured deep and its utter unfriendliness. For a great time I looked into it, newly, and shaken and fearful. It was so near. Had I been a child I might have expressed some of my sensation and distress by saying that the sky had lost its roof. Later I turned and peered about me into the room. Everywhere it was covered with a thin shroud of the all-pervading white. I could see it but dimly by reason of the somber light that now lit the world. It appeared to cling to the ruined walls, and the thick, soft dust of the years that covered the floor knee-deep was nowhere visible. The snow must have blown in through the open framework of the windows. Yet in no place had it drifted but lay everywhere about the great old room, smooth and level. Moreover, there had been no wind these many thousand years, but there was the snow, as I have told. Footnote 8 See previous footnote. This would explain the snow within the room. And all the earth was silent, and there was a cold such as no living man can ever have known. The earth was now illuminated by day with a most doleful light beyond my power to describe. It seemed as though I looked at the great plain through the medium of a bronze-tinted sea. It was evident that the earth's rotatory movement was departing steadily. The end came all at once. The night had been the longest yet, and when the dying sun showed at last above the world's edge, I had grown so wearied of the dark that I greeted it as a friend. It rose steadily until about twenty degrees above the horizon, then it stopped suddenly, and after a strange retrograde movement, hung motionless, a great shield in the sky. Footnote 9 I am confounded that neither here nor later on does the recluse make any further mention of the continued north and south movement, apparent, of course, of the sun from solstice to solstice. Only the circular rim of the sun showed bright, only this and one thin streak of light near the equator. Gradually even this thread of light died out, and now all that was left of our great and glorious sun was a vast dead disk rimmed with a thin circle of bronze-red light.